Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Ray Zimmer. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we have returning to the podcast yet again, the super listener, Sam George. Sam, welcome back. Thanks, guys. So much fun. Thank you. All right. So in this episode, we're going to gab about Faith No More's 1997 record, Album of the Year. Sam, this was the album of the year in 97. Where do you come in with Faith No More in this record? Man, I, I first heard of Faith No More uh, through the Metallica t-shirts. You know, I saw, you know, you get the posters and stuff, and you look through Hit Parade magazine, you see Metallica with the Faith No More shirt on. That's where I first heard of them. I first heard them after being curious and going to, there's like a college town CD shop not too far from my house. And so I asked to hear some of that. And I didn't like it, man. I, I didn't like it because it was it's weird, man. It kind of freaked me out. I wasn't ready for it. And uh, then when Epic came out, I really didn't like Epic, man. I thought it was hokey and campy. I, really, I still don't like that song. So I ignored them for years, you know, until I was out of, freaking party with one of my buddies and you know like uh 98 i guess you know beer pong i was about that age beer pong keg party type of shit going on and i heard this <laughs> it was playing and uh i said who's that they said faith no more and i was like you're fucking lying i didn't believe him <laughs> <laughs> so we listened to that and uh, i was like Man, i really like it and that we went through it again and then uh, they played king for a day and i was like okay i'll kind of like this too and so uh, I've, I've been a fan since then. So this is actually my introduction to Faith No More is this record. Wow. Ray, how about you? Well, actually, Mike kind of comes into play on this. Uh, first off, there was a lot of buzz, I think, our sophomore year about uh, Faith No More. And I'm, Mike, you, and, you were in Mr. Ian's, Mr. Meehan's English class with me, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, okay. we were. Yep. Yeah, I remember talking to you about it because I kept picture the conversation in the classroom with you about that because you were my go-to guy about anything new music like i figured mike's gonna have has his ear to the ground he knows what's up so i remember asking you about faith no more and you know were they any good and because i had heard that they did a cover of war pigs i remember you telling me that they they were good they were heavy but they turned the bass way up which kind of gives them like a real funky kind of a sound um and i had no funk references at that point in my life you know outside of you dropped a bomb on me by <laughs> yeah me too yeah. but that that's about as funky as i got and so I, then that just they weren't on my radar for a little bit then willie miller the famous willie miller came to my house the video of uh a bunch of there's a bunch of MTV videos because I, I said in other shows we, I didn't have cable, and he showed me the video for Epic, and I thought it was wild. I actually I really did like the song because I hadn't heard anything like it ever. I mean, there's this band of freaks. The guy has like the guitarist has like these granny glasses on, <laughs> and these wild hair. He plays a really sick flying V. The lead singer sounds like the lead singer of the Blow Monkeys, which was like an '80s English like Euro pop band who did a cover. <laughs> You don't own me for the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. I don't think he really sounds like the guy from. Like, there's some elements that do sound like that, but and then he got a keyboard player playing some really cool stuff. So this was like completely out of my wheelhouse, and I really liked it. And then when uh, Angel Dust came out, it didn't really grab me right away. And then like my my freshman year roommate had it, and I got into that album a lot. I kind of skipped over King for a Day. For a lifetime, which I think is probably a big mistake. I've heard a couple tracks off it that I really like, and I really need to explore the rest of that album. But uh, when this album came out, it would have been '97, and I remember driving around at night. And your last cup of, sor- or 
Cup of Sorrow. What the hell is the song title? Last Cup of Sorrow. Last Cup of Sorrow. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that, What's that, that song? Of Glory. <laughs> they're playing that their rock and roll stuff, and they're doing the songs of sorrow and the cups and stuff. Because I'm now I'm 97, and that's how I refer, <laughs> refer to things. Um, anyway, um, this album came out. I loved that single, and I was hanging out with these dudes in Westfield. This guy Andy Petroselli had a copy of it. He's the first dude I knew who had the co- this album, and he played me uh, mouth to mouth. And Ooh. I loved the song. I giggled my ass off, but I loved the song. Then I ended up buying it a couple months later, and uh, that was on constant rotation for a while. So that's my history with uh, Album of the Year. So Rock and Mike, what's your deal? So like Ray said, I came in on Epic. Uh, the moment I saw the video, I, I went right out and bought the cassette, and I loved that album. I wore that cassette out. It was just nothing I had ever heard before. I had gone and seen Poison with Slaughter, with Rich Kolozik and Greg Kingsley. Um, <laughs> Mac the Knife. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I, I went to that show and it was just so horrendous. I was looking for something else. Um, the, whole, <laughs> the whole hair metal scene was that show in particular. I, I, it just turned me off. And Faith No More was right there to fill that, fill that niche. And I, I was in Hook, Line, and Sinker. And it's funny because this album in particular, this is the one Mike Patton album with Faith No More that I don't own. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's weird. But yeah, it was the same thing. You know, you saw all the Faith No More shirts and the Metallica videos. Then you saw Jim Martin wearing a tribute to Cliff Burton shirt. And of course, it was the first reference for Mr. Bungle because Patton was wearing a Mr. Bungle shirt in the Epic video, which was cool. Um, those glasses, I always said they were Sally Jesse Raphael, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was, uh, that's my Faith No More story. I covered Faith No More as the Real Thing album way back on episode 41 of the podcast. And as I said then, I got into Faith No More with my friend Keith Toth when we saw the video for the song Epic, and we both got the Real Thing album. I love the weird clash of musical styles and their sound, and I became a big fan of this band right away. I got their back catalog, which wasn't much at the time, and basically since then I picked up whatever new record they put out. So for me, album of the year was just Faith No More's new album in 97, and I just bought it without hearing a single track off it. So here are some basic facts about this record, provided to you by your one-stop shop of flawed knowledge, Wikipedia. Album of the Year is the sixth studio album by American rock band Faith No More, released on June 3, 1997, by Slash and Reprise Records. It was produced by Roly, Massaman, and Billy Gould, and was recorded from 1996 to February 1997 at Brilliant Studios and Razor's Edge Recording, San Francisco, California. It reached number 40 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum in Australia. Next is the band's lineup card. We've got Mike Borden on drums, Roddy Bottom on keyboards, Billy Gould on bass guitar, John Hudson on guitar, and Mike Patton on vocals. All right, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. Kicking things off is Collision. Written by John Hudson and Mike Patton.
Sam, what do you think? I love the way this album starts off. It hits you right in the teeth immediately. And uh, it's, it's awesome. It's got tons of energy. And immediately it's like uh, so much energy. And then it drops off into this really cool va- bass line with a vibrato. The damn uh, Billy Gould, the bass player. Man, he's he's great bass player, by the way. And uh, But he's got a little bit of feel on there, man. All that bass. And it's badass, man. I like the uh, collision. You know, it, it, you know, I think it's about a car collision. Because, and uh, I love that because the more wrecks that there are, the more money I make. And uh, I'm not sure. About, <laughs> I'm not sure about what this is about. But I think it's about for a guy, uh, you know, getting drunk or, or high and going for a drive. I think that's that's what it's about. But I, I love this opener. I love it. Ray. Well, they kind of come in pretty heavy-handed. It's a just really balls to the wall with the uh, first part, with the collision part, as that goes. Um, the verse section sounds like it's almost like something that could have come off of Angel Dust with the, the synths in the background. And those that synth line that's being played in the background, that kind of swell, really kind of creates a tension. And Billy Gold and Puffy are kind of locked in, and it was like a weird stutter step kind of a riff, but it sounds really cool. And Sam, I agree with you about Billy Gould's bass playing. I think it's pretty pretty awesome. And his vibrato, you talk about it's almost like a BB King vibrato, but thrown onto a bass string, which is really I don't really hear a lot of <laughs> other bassists do it. And that's what I always liked about his part for um, uh, that "My Life Is Falling to Pieces" thing. It's like, it's yeah. like kind of nestles into your brain. Um, the two minute 19 second mark when they go back to the verse i like how actually though the bass just drops out completely and it's just the chords the drums and then Patton singing but there's like this weird kind of distorted chord kind of swelling up underneath it then they just kind of end the song the way they do Patton at this point is in full Patton croon mode which i think is always aces when he does that that's one of his many uh little vocal tricks in his bag and uh this is a good way to open the album i'd say rock and mike I agree. It's a great way to kick it off. Um, Sam, you said how it hits you in the teeth. I wrote down that it hits you in the forehead. It just, it, it really does. It just hits you. Borden, Mike Borden, man, he is a beast. And when Patton is drawn out that word, the word collision, where he's like, collision, there's this, Ray, you called it a stutter step. I was mm-hmm. writing down that it was a hesitation. But that hesitation <laughs> that's in the bass, it's also in the drums, just kind of at yeah. different times. You oh, hear yeah. it in the drums underneath collision. But it punctuates the song just like so damn perfectly. And Billy Gould also does that stutter step during the verse, which mm-hmm. overall, he's the whole heaviness to this song. And then you just got the that pat and scream where like he rips his vocal cords out. I have no idea how he can how he's been able to maintain that ability for all these years across all the different projects that he does. Uh, mm-hmm. it, but it is a killer way to start this album. I really like it a lot. Blam! This thing just slams into you with a heavy guitar riff, distorted bass, and pounding drums, with the singer drawing out the word collision. The verses have no guitar, just Billy Gould's bass. We've been saying this, Mike Borden's drums, Roddy Bottom's background keyboards, and Mike Patton doing his thing on vocals. And then it transitions to a noisy pre-chorus with Patton screaming, head on, head on, a head on. The lyrics describe someone going about their day, all handshakes and feeling great, then screeching and bang, collision. The music makes you feel the impact. This is just a solid smack you in the face. So we've got the forehead, the teeth, and the face opener. (laughs) It introduces the band's new guitarist, John Hudson, who co-wrote this, and Mike Patton's vocals are intense. He's really worked up right away. 
The next track is Strip Search, written by Mike Borden, John Hudson, and Billy Gould. Sam, how about this one? Man, this is really interesting right off the bat, too. Um, it opens with like this key or keyboard or a synth line that just was like an arpeggiated thing that uh, it grabbed me first time I heard it. A few seconds later, you know, with a bass and uh, drums, um, Mike Borden's drums kick in, man. And dude, he's one a great drummer. No one has ever, ever said that he's not. But, and there's like, this, like really smooth, easy groove that. It's undeniable right there, man, and that's like a nice thing. And then Mike Patton, you know, shows his crazy range. And uh, to me, he's one of the best uh, singers that I can think of. You know, he's in at least top you know, 20. You know, he'll be singing this real easy, uh, almost falsetto, you know, line, and then, you know, he'll drop it down to an old way to change. And yeah. it sounds so fucking good, man. And that's he can do that. You did, you did a great job right there. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> yeah, uh, well done, man. Well, thank you. Uh, but, I mean, he's great, man, and not many people can do that. And he's always done shit like that. I, mean, I was late to the party, I know that. But And, and then I loved uh, uh, those sustained notes uh, behind the verse uh, with the guitar. Uh, John Hudson, the new guy, the FNG, is a... Uh, you know, playing some really nice lines back there, and it sounds so good, and it kind of flies a little bit, you know. And uh, you know, when he goes like F four fake, it's fucking awesome too. <laughs> I did. This one of uh, Faith No More, in my opinion, one of their best songs. Ray, I'm going to have to agree with Sam on this one. This is one of my favorite Faith No More songs of all time, and I got a lot of them, but this is definitely easily within the you know top five. It starts off with a weird, almost like '80s electric toy sound that sounds like the old alpha flight space shuttle sound with that little hook there and uh at the time i didn't hear i was not listening to any kind of like a lot of like really weird like electronica based stuff or anything along those lines i'm not saying that this is like you know trying to sound like moby or uh lords of acid but um it's definitely it was different i had never heard anything like this at the time and underneath that little hook, you've got classic Roddy Bottom synth stuff going on. Those like kind of weird synth strings. And I always think of like Roddy Bottom synth lines. It's almost like a weird mix between Vangelis or Vangelis or however you say his name, the guy who did the Chariots of Fire theme, yeah. and uh, <laughs> Roger O'Donnell from The Cure. Um, cool. So <laughs> he does write lines like string sections, I think, and he fills in a lot of space with that. And outside of just the cool piano stuff that he does. Patton's got that great falsetto hook in the background. He does like a lot of cool vocal layering on this album. The verse section, it's a great vocal melody and deliverance by Patton too. The Give Yourself Away part at 140, this is the vocal style that Patton starts uh, to play more and more. I mean, you can hear it on songs like Evidence. Um, you can even hear hints of it in RV. 
But um, he, did, he, he does some other things. Like he did uh, two guest performances on the Bjork album, Medulla, which is basically an album done all voice. And he's on two different tracks. And it's that really low bass, almost to the point where it's inaudible. I call it um, Elvis with COPD. <laughs> he does it more and more over the years which is probably not a bad idea just to like we somebody brought up mike I think he brought up his vocal cords and it probably like gives him a break from all the shrieking that he can do or just to just belting it out that he can do there's a part that part in particular the um the give yourself away part that's kind of a direction shift in the song it's got a lot of tension in it and then it kind of goes back to the verse section again there's more in addition with like uh, at 326 when you add the more to that distorted guitar riff with like Sam was saying the new guy John Hudson it builds attention up that much more and it's got the weird eerie keyboards on the way out. This is an overall eerie album, I think. I think it stands with even like some Manson stuff and some just for atmospherics. This song ends on a really eerie note, I think. And so, who doesn't love a good strip search? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there you go, Mike. The sequencing here is cool because it points out exactly what I love about Faith No More. They can do a complete change of pace from the first song to this, and then it completely works. Patton goes from the primal scream wail at the end of Collision to that like Motown-influenced high-pitched delivery. Then he layers it with that lower register that we've been talking about. Roddy Bottom gets more time on the keys that we're talking about with that ascending lick with his keyboard swells. And you even have that little melodic solo that's just kind of him just kind of sliding notes down the neck, which is kind of how I picture it. Billy Gould and Mike Borden, they hold the whole thing together as that chunk comes in with more prominent key swells. And like you were saying, there's a, just a dark tone to this whole record. Even everything behind this, as Patton continues to do his change of pace with his vocals, that darkness never leaves the album. Um, and I don't know if you get, if you guys ever saw the video for this, but it's like him robbing a bank or something. And it, it's just, it just plays into the feel of this whole record as well. So I, I, I'm all in. I like this song too. So this tune is built on an electronic loop that was composed by John Hudson that gives the track a cold, weird atmosphere. And then Patton adds the breathy, wordless vocals that appear throughout the track and give it its identity. Ah, Borden's drums provide some humanity to the music, and Billy's bass burbles underneath. I've always felt he's a vastly underrated bassist. The breakdown sections have Patton singing in a lower register, and again, Roddy's keys supply atmosphere. And at the end of the track, it develops into an outro where the keyboards actually play a memorable line, and Hudson's guitar riffing is a little bit more understated. The lyrics are a mystery to me. I even looked to the internet for help, and nobody can agree what the song is about. The best I can come up with is that in modern society, there are so many falsehoods and fake people that to change and get by is to be honest, not be ashamed and live your truth. This has an unusual structure and a chilly vibe to it, almost like a Joy Division song, and it was the third and final single from the album. The following track is Last Cup of Sorrow, written by Billy Gould and Mike Patton. What do you think? 
This is getting old and so are you. Okay. <laughs> you have to hear the damn song to get that, um, listeners. The song comes out with a killer tone, man. I love this little riff. It's really simple to play, man, but it's effective, man. It, it's uh, just a, a nice groovy rock song, metal song, you know, right there, hard rock. I uh, really like uh, some of the words in here, although uh, I've heard that Mike Patton doesn't really choose lyrics necessarily for the meaning, but for how they sound and how they fit in the song, you know, like a rhythm to where it sounds or rhymes with something else, because some of them are silly and stupid, you know, you don't know what they mean. Some of these songs on this album, you know, who the fuck knows what they mean. But, you know, I like the way uh, he delivers them anyways, and uh, this is a solid song, man. It's not my favorite, but... Um, it was, I know it was very popular on this album, but it's, it's solid. I love it. Like it? No, I, I hate it. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, what do you think? <laughs> well, this six, this is the song that um that that is the first one I heard off this uh, this album. Driving around at like two o'clock in the morning to do a late night Dunkin' Donuts run. It was oddly fitting. I was on a back road, and you've got this really chilling. Almost sounds like a child's piano, like playing in some haunted house somewhere, kind of a sound to it. That's what adds a little bit of the eeriness to the song. It's not just like the vocal delivery or the rhythm of the song, but that continuous little child sound piano in the background really makes it fucking spooky to me. Um, the line, as Sam mentioned, this is getting old and so are you. I don't know. Maybe it's just how, how what my take was on 90s alterna rock or whatever the hell it happened to be. Like, boxed over and over again and shoved down the masses' throats. And I like always thought the pipe. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, was he talking about 90s alternative rock? I mean, that sentiment, just if you take it in and of itself, almost kind of echoes Cobain's teenage angst has paid off well and now I'm bored and old. And that's what I kind of took this out. The reason I liked Faith No More was because it was like an antidote to, like, the this kind of like victim rock that kind of started from like 10th tier bands from like the first era of grunge. You know, I, you know, I didn't want to hear about anybody's lousy childhood or, you know, damaged childhood. And so like, I kind of always took this song as almost kind of as an anthem to that, but you know, you can take it anyway. You could take this, you know, as like a recommendation for, you know, I don't know, getting over your pet hamster dying. I have no fucking clue. But <laughs> that's that's the way I always took from this song. Um, the chorus is a perfect mix of bottoms, keyboard parts with uh, guitar and a really hooky melody. For me, the best part of the song is uh, the chorus at 141, when it's just the bass, the creepy keyboards, and those really whispered vocals. And it almost sounds like somebody's like trying to make like I don't know a fucking mouth laser noise, like I did when I was trying to play Star Wars as a kid. That. <laughs> <laughs> You might just surprise yourself. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and, e- and even that, that might, you might just surprise yourself, kind of puts it in a loop, makes it surreal. It's like, you know, you're stuck seeing this thing over and over again. So I, I love the shit out of this song. Mike? I agree with Ray. It opens with that riff that kind of rings out. The keys in it, it's it's funny how you say it reminds you of a haunted house. I was thinking complete 80s horror movie. I was waiting at some point for some guy to come in and go, coming this summer from New Line Cinema. And then like, oh, it's over the top. Um, I, I don't know why. It's just, that's all I could think of. Like, you know, the Freddy Krueger in the background. 
Patton's got that microphone vocal in the verses combined with that open belted chorus. It's another cool Faith No More hook that they do in different songs that always kind of gives you the illusion of a second vocalist. At the beginning, there's a chirp underneath. And I don't know if that's it reminds me almost like a cello. It took it was a few listens and I'm going, what the hell is that little chirpy thing? Not sure what it is at all. Um, but I like Ray, I like your uh, take on it about being fed up with the alternative rock scene. I mean, when they ha- when they toured for this album, Limp Biscuit opened for them. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. Imagine that. Like <laughs> And that was that was put together by their label or management or whatever. And Billy Gould has been very vocal about how like Fred Durst was a dick and they tried to get other bands on the bill. And I really like Ray, I really like your take on just being fed up with the alternative rock scene because it I can completely hear that now that you say that in this song. Uh, the uh, the other thing to check out is there is a uh, Romstein did a remix of this. Which is really, yeah, there's a Rob Stein thing, which is pretty freaking cool as well. So definitely check that out. That's on YouTube, by the way. That's uh, one of the tube rabbit holes that I fell down. But I love the shit out of the song. I sing along with the chorus every time it's on. And they're they're three for three opening this album up. I've said it before, but Mike Patton is in my top five male rock vocalists of all time. The shit he can do with his voice is amazing. He can go from this high nasally whine to a deep croon and all points in between. According to Billy Gould, on this track, Patton sings through an old Telefunken tube microphone, and it was super compressed so that it sounds like he's singing through an intercom or an old telephone. Roddy's keyboards tinkle like wind chimes and Billy's bass is the steady pulse of the tune while the guitar rips out the power chords. The chorus has the big hook and is very sing-along. My interpretation of the lyrics is that everyone goes through hard times. The trick is to suck it up, process it, and move past it. You might surprise yourself with your own strength if you can do it. This song has plenty of dynamics. It goes from quiet to loud and changes moods. And it was the second single that reached number 14 on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. The next track is Naked in Front of the Computer, written by Mike Patton. Sam, what do you think of this? I think this is my favorite title of the whole album. <laughs> and anybody can relate to this, right? One of my favorite parts of the song, which is pretty short, and it's really short and sweet, and it kind of kicks your ass and then leaves, which is, uh, I love some songs like that, is when it says, I bought the thing, I taught the thing, and I fought the thing. They said, I know my butt, they're keeping me dumb, hot. I love that shit, man. <laughs> I love that shit so much, man. And then now I'm sending it back to you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This song is uh, also an app title for what a lot of America is doing right now. I th- at first, I was like, well, this is the first really interesting J- John Hudson riff on the album. And then I read the liner notes, and it looks like this is another patent right. So I don't know if he just kind of like hummed the riff to, to Hudson to play, or if maybe Hudson did actually con- contribute that. I don't know. But 
I know that like Patton was getting more and more into like writing things out by himself. Like his first one, I think, was Malpractice on Angel Dust, and I don't know enough of King for the Day to say if if he wrote any solo stuff on there himself. But uh, that this is one of the first riffs that actually interests me on this album, guitar wise. I mean, I've loved the music on the previous three songs, but that the that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I've heard, unfortunately, that fucking Papa Roach used to cover this song. Um, so to that, I just say, kill me now. They have um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. They have it. Uh, I've heard it. Uh, oh, is it as awful as I'd imagine it would be? They, they didn't make it their own. They pretty much just did it note for note. So uh, there, there's really no point. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I agree. I always like pretend the song is about some guy trying to get porn and I was uh, – Back in the 1990s, on his like compact Bersario with a bad free AOL disc, <laughs> the line "I bought the thing, I thought the thing, and I fought the thing." It always just makes me think of my old man. Because speaking of compact Bersarios, that old man terrorized the helpline for compact Bersario for like a good six months straight with like all these questions of what was wrong with his computer. So I'm not saying this song makes you think. Of- I'm not saying this makes me think of my father sitting naked in front of the computer, but because <laughs> that's just creepy. But this is a good, this is a great song, and there's not a lot of time in it, but it comes in strong, fast, and says what needs to be said. So <laughs> this is a great song, man. Rock and Mike, it's just pretty much straight out, like you know, Faith the More ripping through their own punk song, and it's completely eerily prophetic. I kind of like to think of this song as a sequel to RV off Angel Dust. I think it's the same guy, you know, maybe he, you know, he amounted to something. He got himself that compact Rosario and now he's naked in front of the computer. Um, I like the rapid fire delivery and again, then a belted out hook. Uh, it's not a real solo, just some walking on the neck. Uh, it's a cool song for me, but one of the things that's funny and I, I know Aaron knows this album. So there's a lot of similarities between that opening riff and find myself by motley crew off generation swine it's got a lot of the same elements yeah it's not you know it's like the same tone it's it's weird it's because the albums only came out i I had to look them up the albums only came out three weeks apart i was going to say they weren't that far apart to my recollection right yeah so album of the year came out june 3rd 97 and generation swine came out june 24th so nobody's aping each other. I just find it kind of interesting that the similarity between those two riffs. This is a much better song, but it's just one of those weird things that kind of hits you. And it kind of tells you where everybody was in their minds musically around late beginning of the late 90s. So I really love this song a lot. This is a cool one. This has like a grungy, thick guitar sound that's charged by Borden's constant thumping beat, and the synths are so understated they're almost inaudible. Patton's vocals are over-the-top and hilarious. At first, he sounds like he's just bitching about something, and he kind of is, and then he goes into that rapid-fire rhythmic vocalizations that almost sound like he's rapping, while there's additional percussive sounds that amplify the vocals. You're missing something keeping me dumb and hot. You must be missing something keeping me dumb and hot. That cracks me up, man. The lyrics seem to be a commentary on society's over-reliance on computers and how they dumb down the populace and make them soulless, having relationships through email without ever meeting in person. I love the lines that we've been saying, I bought the thing, I taught the thing, and I fought the thing. There are no solos or extended sections. This song goes by fast at only two minutes, eight seconds, and it's probably my favorite track on the record. When you get down to it, this is all Mike Patton. He thought the thing. 
He wrote the thing and he sung the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got I gotta say, man, I really miss Jim Martin's solos though. Yeah, I mean he was yeah, he's good. <laughs> really yeah. Good. Yeah, they never replaced him no, well. No, no, no I wouldn't I, I think John Hudson's a, a, a competent guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he fills in, you know, the rock sound. And I'm saying that with air quotes on my side. Yeah. yeah. They changed after uh, Martin left. Yeah. Yeah. You can hear it. Yeah. Although he sounds like he got a little bit better on Soul Invictus. I don't know if that's because they all came back in the, in the middle age and they're like, ah, oh, we'll let the guitarist play a little bit more. Oh, yeah. And this album here, this album is, is a clusterfuck. Yeah. That got made. Yeah. So they were done. They were at, they're, yeah. they're at the end of the line. Yep. Yeah. And they had fired, was it Dean Menta? Because, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gould said they fired Dean Menta. They said not because he was an asshole. He just, he got along with everybody well, but they couldn't write with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only did the tour. Right. It's uh, I think it's Trace Spruance on King for a Day. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. The following track is Helpless, written by Mike Borden, Mike Patton, and Billy Gould. Look the other way. I count the hours. Now I count the days. And for once I'm certain. Sam, your thoughts? Well, I, mean, I thought it was written by Diamond Head, man. No? <laughs> okay. Uh, Mike Patton uh, shows off his range again, man. And it's real, like you said earlier, he does the little breathy thing. And uh, I like. it sounds like he's singing through a megaphone at some point. I really kind of dig where, how he, he does that. I mean, a lot of singers have done that, like you know, Maynard and uh, Stone Tooth Pilots. Uh, I've done that. It's not an uncommon thing, but Mike Patton seems to know when to do it pretty well and when not to do it. Yeah, maybe some. I don't know. Some of the words, he said, I even tried to get arrested today, but everyone looked the other way. I think it's really cool lyrics here, even though it comes across as like he's not trying too much. These are pretty good, man. Uh, uh, and the chorus comes up and he says, don't want your help, don't need your help, man. That's really pretty, man. You know, and, the guitar and everything in the background it kind of swells at the same time and it's a, a solid you know really pretty thing and then there's a whistle solo it just brightens my day every day it's like reminds me of john denver on, uh, <laughs> on a, a sunny spring morning when i hear this solo but anyway after that the way it ends you know it uh kind of builds and you, and you scream help 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 Okay, I really love his longest. <laughs> Ray, um, this is probably one of one of my favorite Faith No More songs ever, as far as in my top five. Probably as far as rock songs go, I think this is uh, probably at least in my top ten of one of the best rock songs. Um, Starts off really kind of deceptive with that solo electric guitar kind of chugging away, almost like it sounds like it's going to be a punk intro. Then, bam, you get this acoustic guitar chords and uh, Patton's patented baritone whisper croon. And once again, it's like Elvis with COPD. Um, 
That's fun. I never felt better now. I always love that one. <laughs> <laughs> With the tooth in his nose, if he was singing that, I was like, never felt better. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking <laughs> <laughs> Dipping Sorry. French bread into a jar of peanut butter and eating it as he's singing it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Humero, it's not just for me. It's for everybody. <laughs> um, what I like when it gets to the chorus are those distorted arpeggios that John Hudson's playing. It sounds a lot like this, because there's a guy who used to do a lot. He played with this band called Magazine. He also played a lot with Susie and the Banshees. His name was John McGeoch. And uh, he used to do like a lot of kind of like distorted arpeggio things too. And I love the sound of that. And so that supports the vocal hook in the chorus nicely. <laughs> I actually even like, there's like this cheesy roller skate organ sound put on by Roddy Bottom during the final verse section. It's like, I almost expect somebody to pop and go, and now it's the couple's skate. (laughs) 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 But you know, that's the funny thing. Kind of like Tom Waits does. I mean, Faith No More was able to take little elements of American culture, like the odd ones you overlook and kind of insert them you know, kind of subversively in the songs. And that's one of them. That's a, that's an awesome example right there. And <laughs> Sam, man, I can't even touch the help part, but the, the help part always cracks <laughs> me up. And I, I'm not going to lie. If I'm listening to the song in the car and I'm the only one there and I'm screaming like, help! <laughs> help! This damn <laughs> the, album is really fun to sing along to, man. It really oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. So I, Ray, I'm with you. Those chords, when it comes in, you think that this thing is going to open up and just be like a million miles an hour right off the rip. And then all of a sudden, nope, acoustic guitar, subdued vocals with some vocal swells underneath. And then at the 215 mark, those vocals in the song just open up. But he's singing into a bucket, it sounds like, at at one part. Um, And the guitar work is understated but cool. And I love how the song goes back and forth between the acoustic guitar and that full band. And I'm with you guys. I'm screaming help. Nowhere near as well as you both are, um, but I'm screaming help long. Hey. Come on, Mike, do it. They do it. Help! <laughs> uh, and then, like, I'm with Sam. Who doesn't love a song with a whistle solo? Yeah. It worked for Guns N' Roses. And Andy uh, Griffith. <laughs> oh, Peter Bjorn and John. Peter Bjorn and Peter Bjork and John. The, uh, um, but yeah, no, I love I love the shit out of this song too. This is I'm kicking myself for not buying it when it came out. Well, this isn't the Neil Young ballad, but this ballad is dominated by the acoustic guitar strumming and Patton singing in almost a whisper with a sample of his process voice saying, "How's it go, Ray?" I never felt better now. <laughs> <laughs> so good throughout the track. Then there's background organ and high-pitched, wordless backing vocals. There's a fuzzy electric section where Patton raises his voice, culminating in a big helpless, which goes to another verse and a whistled solo that's odd but strangely cool. The lyrics to me are about a depressed guy. He may be older, later in life, who can't seem to get anyone to pay any attention to him, and he's despondent and helpless. But despite that, he is, what's that, Ray? He never felt helpless. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, as the track fades, I guess I got to do mine. Patton screams, help! 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 You like hear his breath and it sounds like he's spitting into the microphone. It's hilarious. It just comes across so funny to me. I don't know. I dig this track, man. There's a town 
in North Ontario. <laughs> you got to do a whole episode like that. <laughs> this album a four and a half. <laughs> and we never felt better now. <laughs> The next track is Mouth to Mouth, written by Mike Borden, Mike Patton, John Hudson, and Billy Gould. Sam, your thoughts? Um, <laughs> one of my favorite songs on the record. Uh, I like the way the organ sounds. Sounds like an evil carnival. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. And the rhythm section has got these punchy jabs, right? That uh, and, and uh, Mike Patton is like singing with it, and it's fucking awesome, dude. It's like you have to go fast and bang on the steering wheel on this song, man. It's uh, one of my favorite parts is when he says, "Bring it back," you know, "Bring it back." That's fucking awesome, man. And he goes back into that riff. Oh, love that shit, man. I love the way he, uh, the inflection, the way he inflects on different syllables. And he's like, when he goes, you, Ty Dunnott, peeled your skin off. I love that shit, man. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh, I love the song until, like, the, when it starts to fade out. They could have just stopped. You know, it's kind of just goes on. I could have, you know, dressed up the dead man. I couldn't bring him back to life. But, hey. Okay, fine. You said that like 20 times, man. Just <laughs> say it like three or four times and then stop the damn song, man. You don't have to fade out. That's just dumb. Okay, but other than that, it's a great song. Ray. Um, uh, this is a great song. This is like this is the the second single that I had heard ever off of this album. Not, not, not released as a single, but this is the second track I ever heard off this album. Um, and uh, that's what really said, dude, you got to go buy this album. It kind of starts out like almost sounds like a distant radio with like this kind of this pulse in the background. And then it turns to this weird Doors-esque Farfisa organ melody. And with the, that combined with the tambourine, almost gives like a weird Balkan metal kind of a feel, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is really kind of out there. And I like that. The guitar riff itself is kind of a snoozer on its own right but um paired with everybody else it's it's you know as, as an ingredient it's still pretty integral and i just want to say that i think godsmack stole this riff for like well just about <laughs> all of their shit let's just hang on the e chord for you know ever and just to change up the rhythm a little bit disturbed <sighs> yeah exactly <laughs> and i mean of course as i've stated before i'm not a lyric guy um and I guess I was justified in this song by saying that, you know, maybe this is what Patton is saying because, he, you know, he's not necessarily concerned about what the sentence meaning is, but the sound of the words. So I always thought he was saying, you tied the knot of Legends of Chewbacca. <laughs> it's stupid. It, it, but, you know, I thought, like, no, that's awesome. That's cool. And then no, I actually saw the lyrics. I was like, God, I'm a dumbass. But, you know, what? I'm still going <laughs> to sing this in the car saying, you tied the knot of Legends of Chewbacca. And Cody yeah. Cody <laughs> In the background. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This song screams for a Jim Martin guitar solo, which you're not going to get. Fuck you, Jim. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but you know what? Instead, you get a little bit of Roddy Bottom gets like a little bit of a synth solo in there, and that's cool. But uh, yeah, no, I love the shit out of this one. Rock and Mike. Same. This is one of my favorites off the album. You know, it's got a satanic polka built around the pat <laughs> and the and that organ. And you know, I always thought it was all just about Weekend at Bernie's with that whole chorus. <laughs> I can dress up a dead man, but I can't bring him back to life. I love hey, that yeah. chorus. <laughs> hey, what it's Weekend at Bernie's? Why not? Right. It's got um, it's got another kick-ass bass line, which is at its best under that chorus. Uh, and Mike Borden just continues to slay the song. I really can't add anything else to it other than I wish the song was a little bit longer. So that's where yeah. Sam and I get for a little bit. I, I, I just I love that. the track. You know, maybe not the, at the repetitiveness of it, but I would like to see a little bit more to it. But I wish there was more of the the staccato notes. You know, the jab and yeah, yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just picture like you know, like a polka. Everybody's in their dojinkies and they're dancing in a they're dancing in a pentagram. Fuck yeah! <laughs> you know, and there's flames all the way around them, and Mike Patton's in the middle with these horns on his head. And Black ass leader hosen. That's right. Leader hosen right. <laughs> made out of dead people. Yeah, it's like a, no, I don't know. I'm going off the track. But I love the song. It's a great tune. <laughs> so a repeated start and stop guitar and bass riff is augmented by carnival sounding keyboards like a cracked out Doors tune while Patton shouts, away before yeah. delivering percussive vocals in the verses. Then it transitions to a more traditional sounding metal chorus with longer chords and Patton still shouting the vocals. He does basically this the entire song. Borden's drums are a highlight, and he executes the transitions with ease. He's a really fluid player. It's no wonder Sabbath and Ozzy tapped him to play live shows. Lyrically, I interpret this to be a critique of religion and how it's mostly based on passed down myths and legends and how people can be fooled into believing in such things. You know, dead guys like Jesus or Chewbacca. (laughs) (laughs) I like the mouth-to-mouth vocals. He sounds almost snotty. This has a more traditional Faith No More sound, I guess you could say. Each band member is bringing something cool to the table. (laughs) (laughs) The following track is Ashes to Ashes, written by Mike Borden, Mike Patton, John Hudson, Billy Gould, and Roddy Bottom. Sam, what do you say? Man, this one starts out with a really badass riff. Uh, I know the guitar player doesn't have a lot of solos and everything, but he is serviceable, man. He sounds great. He's got a sick-ass tone. And uh, I love the palm-muted notes in the in like the call and response during the chorus, you know? Uh, it's really cool. Uh, the words, I like, too. The smiling with the mouth of the ocean, and I'll wave to you with the arms of a mountain, and I'll see you. When he goes, I see you, man. You would, If I had ever seen these guys in concert, I would have... Uh, pumped my fist for that part for sure there's a nice melodic solo i think it's one of the few solos on the record and i think it's really good man he doesn't do too much 
keeps the song going. It's nice. And uh, I like the, uh, the words uh, give the same to me. Then I'll give, be closer. And then when he uh, ends on this, on the very ending, when he goes, give the same to me, then I'll be closer. And I love that shit right there. That's really cool. And then this ends. That's the way you end the song. The one before was a miss. They had a perfect opportunity at the end of that, that song. Really cool. But uh, they nailed it on this one. So it, it's okay. Ray? Ashes to Ashes. Uh, be honest. I kind of never really liked the guitar intro. It just seemed kind of unimaginative to me. It's like, you know, I, I could do that with when my arthritic hand, left hand starts to kick in with all the bad weather. Um, <laughs> Roddy's key part's cool, you know? And I even, the guitar part that I kind of like, ticket, ticket, ding, ticket, ticket, ding, that kind of answers the, uh, yeah. the the chorus part and the verse. It's cool. I mean, there's individual parts of the song that I think are fine. Truth be told, I, I never even got the chorus. I mean, it's a great vocal performance, but. Um, she doesn't really resonate with me. And during the verse section, Gould's bass line just kind of sounded a little bit too much like Jet City Woman for me. I mean, which is fine for Jet City Woman, but I don't want to hear Billy Gould playing Jet City Woman. And the solo doesn't even really grab me. It's just like too, like too much, too little. I mean, Jim Martin would have toured the ever-loving shit out of it and do the guitar harmony. And then it's just, this is kind of, and it's like, uh, it's just, I'm nonplussed by the whole experience. Um, at two minutes and 30 seconds, the closer part where he's like, sounds like all in the distance and he sounds like a nine year old. Close, close. It just like fucking annoys the shit out of me. It makes me want to just start punching people in the throat randomly. I don't know, old ladies, name it. I want to do that when I hear that part. Um, so I'm going to have to say that this is Ray's unimpressed musical pick. I have to say, David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes is much better. Well, you got me there, yeah. Mike. So the uh, ashes, the ashes, Ray, you kind of stole my thunder there with the, the, the mention of Godsmack. That riff to me is something Godsmack would do. Um, mm-hmm. it, that's exactly what I heard with that opening riff. However, we all know Godsmack couldn't construct the rest of the song like this, but the riff is there. And ultimately, I think this is what hurt Faith No More in the 90s. I think a lot of bands that cut their teeth on the real thing. They saw this cool new direction for heavy rock, but they lacked the talent to make it inter- as interesting as Faith No More did. Patton's in top form, though, and you do have that. For me, I, I don't mind the solo. I think it's like this cool melodic solo. I'm with Sam on it with more layered vocals. I don't hate the song as much as Ray. It's okay. But yeah, I, I just you can hear the bad parts of the 90s in this song for me. So this is a heavy, mid-tempo, plodding rocker that's got a solid bendy riff. And once again, the keyboards provide not much more than spacey atmosphere. Roddy Bottom's presence on this album seems to have been diminished. There's actually an unremarkable guitar solo that consists of a few sustained notes. And then the guitar reaches up for squealing higher notes in the last verse. Patton is the focus again, as he is for the most of the record. His voice soars in the choruses, and his voice is deliberately emotionless in the verses. And it builds up to those choruses along with the music. My interpretation of the lyrics is a guy who wants the attention of someone important, maybe family or loved ones. I love the chorus, smiling with the mouth of the ocean, and I'll wave to you with the arms of the mountain. I'll see you. I dig the guitar and bass slides on the back of the riff towards the end of the track, and it's another winner for me. This was the first single from the album that reached number 23 on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. I didn't even recognize it as Faith No More when I first heard the single on, on the radio. I was like, really? That's, that's them? Like, oh, okay. Well, hey, sure, why not? 
The next track is She Loves Me Not, written by Mike Borden, Billy Gould, and Mike Patton. Where you want me to be? And I know, 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 I know, Sam, you like this one? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I didn't used to like it, man. To be honest, this used to be a skipper, but over the years, man, I just, um, I, this is one in regular rotation, and I started listening to this, and uh, especially this past week, I uh, really like this song. I think it's a little R and B. It's a sweet little chord progression there. I think it's sevenths. I think they're using there, right? Uh, check. I don't know. But, they got uh, some in there, I think. Yeah, it's got to be. Cool chorus, you know, it's got a little RB style when he goes, Tell me, tell me, tell me it's untrue. You know, it's like uh, ET singing, you know. Um, I like the line, I'll say, <laughs> Shit. You know what I'm talking about, though. Want me to be that part right there. It's really cool. Just to uh, be who I am. Yeah, that part. That's so cool, man. I love it. Uh, I really like this song a lot, man. Ray. Well, for me, this makes up for Ashes to Ashes. Um, I, I love this song. Supposedly, Gould was nervous about showing the rest of the band the song when he kind of came up with like some of the parts of it. He like, thought it wasn't hard enough or heavy enough for Faith no more. But, I mean, come on. This is the band that did End of the World. I mean, this is the band that did Anne's song. I mean, they, could, they were capable of so many things. So I don't really know what was going on in Mr. Gould's head as far as like you know feeling neurotic about showing the rest of the band the song. But I guess they all took to it, and I thank God that they did. It really kind of goes back to the eclectic spirit that they had on the real thing. Um, kind of thinking of you know the end of the world. Um, they could do a whole bunch of different styles, and that's and I've always liked it when bands can do that. I mean that's why I like you know Van Halen. I mean they could pull off different styles too. It's just for refreshing for me. Um, and then this one they're kind of like Sam. They're dipping into soul and R and B, and that's what I initially liked about Epic was that Patton could sound like you know scream or he could try to sound like rick james you know it didn't matter I mean, he just had a lot of tricks in it up his sleeve and that's uh that's what made him so unique um this is probably one of my favorite vocal performances by him i gotta say uh i like the little drum intro in the beginning that kicks the song off and the background music the part that uh roddy bottom is playing that sounds like it could have been in the background music of a scene on remember amen with sherman helmsley yeah, <laughs> TV, you know, it's straight out. This could be a playing in some church somewhere, you know, while somebody's in the middle of some sort of psalm or something like that. But it's definitely, I think, it draws upon those influences, that kind of muscle shoals kind of a thing. And uh, yeah, this this wipes the taste of ashes to ashes out of my mouth in a good way. So this is a keeper. Mike, you like this one? I do. I love this song. Um, it's got a, that loungy feel with Patton's R and B vocals and uh, Roddy Bottom's keys. And I love the call and response in the vocals it, that he kind of does with himself. Like you got that, and uh, no, in the like in the left channel, and then it comes back in the right. And what I think is cool is while you have Mike Patton, who is just a master of of vocalisms and mannerisms and stuff that in his delivery and his range, but live, really, Roddy Bottom really picks up you know those kind of open spots and fills them in. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. 
So uh, for me, I would love to see Faith No More do an entire album of shit like this. If they did like a whole loungy album with Mike Patton doing nothing but his R&B voice, that would be sick. I would I would be all in for that. So I, I think this is a fantastic song. I really like it a lot. Here, here. Yeah, you knew Faith No More had to throw an R&B style lounge song in here somewhere. We get that bouncy piano and bass over a waltz time beat with extremely understated guitar and this atmospheric keyboards. Patton's in croon mode. I can just picture him chuckling and cradling the microphone as he relates the tale of a telephone argument between himself and his girl, where he's frustrated because he tries to act a certain way and be the man she wants him to be, but he's tired of being fake and tells her that he's going to say what he's thinking and he'll never be what she wants, and then he tells her to get on her knees. We know that's what he was really thinking. (laughs) This comes across as inconsequential fluff, but I love it when Faith No More does shit like this. They throw a curveball at you. They've done it their whole career. Ray touched on it. You know, RV, too. Weird shit. It's awesome. The following track is Got That Feeling, written by Mike Patton. Sam, what do you say? I got the feeling, man. <laughs> man, this is a good time in the album for a rocker, right? Uh, after the last two songs, man, it goes into this one and it hits you right in the face. just kind of like Collision a little bit. Um, it's got a punky riff, man. It's really cool. And after the first verse, when he like drops down to that damn lower register like we've been talking about, he goes A to Z. Man, I fucking love that shit. And I love the way he builds up to where when he sings a line, he'll like start off down in, in a lower register and uh, by the end of the line, he'll be up here ready to go into something uh, like the chorus. So when he goes, you're on little bit. Like, <laughs> That's fucking awesome, man. And he does it again, though. Got it, got it, got it. Good to go. Got it, got it. Fuck is that, man? But it's so sick, man. It's so cool. Great song. Ray. Um, what can I say? Here's another patent song. It's pretty nutty. Uh, it's, it's got that weird kind of surfing sonic guitar intro. Um, it's a classic patent. You've got weird screams. You've got kind of almost like an atonal rap. The, the music uh, supporting the verse section is really rhythmically jagged, and I dig it. I was going to go to this like song sequencing. If you go to this one, and if you look at the, the song that come after it, this song is the equivalent of drinking a six-pack of Red Bull in about 20 minutes. And then when you go to the next song, it's kind of like the sonic equivalent of taking four Benadryl all at once. Um, <laughs> just energy change-wise. I saved my review for the next song, but I've always got a big kick out of the sequencing on this album, especially with these two songs. Mike? All right, got that feeling. Starts with that plane landing guitar riff and the banshee scream by Patton with the manic throat ripping yells. It's got some great start and stop riffs, which is I've always had some friends that loved that when they were listening to their punk rock. And uh, I love when he gets down deep with the vocals and he talks about a pot of coffee. But it's a it's a cool song. Another short one. This one I didn't write it down. What is it like two? Is it is this one like two minutes also? I think so. It's sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but again, another another cool one. I like it when they come in with a quick jab like that and then get right back out. So I'm in, I'm in on this one too. 
So he had the loungy vibe of the last track, and then bam, the punky metal's back in your face. John's blaring guitar, Billy's bass matches the riff, Borden pounds the skins and changes up the rhythms, and Roddy's downplayed keyboards that once again take a backseat to the noise being made up front. Patton displays many voices on this. He screams on the slamming choruses and the breakdowns, get it, get it, get it, get the go! There you go. And he affects a funny accent on the verses, a doozy. lyrically Patton's a gambler who's unafraid to take a risk he's got that feeling and he can't stop winning winning Charlie Sheen this track is a (laughs) this track is a face slapper to wake you back up after she loves me not put you to sleep the next track is Paths of Glory written by Mike Borden Mike Patton John Hudson Billy Gould and Roddy Bottom Yes, it's the only path of glory If so, then I won't go alone Follow the Sam, hit us. It's an epic sounding intro with the, the keyboards, and I like the way it goes. I'm not afraid. And, uh, it's just coming, 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 <laughs> coming, coming, coming on my face. <laughs> <laughs> on my face. Is that what he says? <laughs> I'm not afraid. Uh, oh, I'm not okay. Afraid. Yeah, is it yeah. come in your eyes again? <laughs> <laughs> this is a porn song, guys. Come on. <laughs> uh, man, I really, really like this song, man. I'm sorry to, uh, to rip on it a little bit. But uh, I like the way uh, in the background he goes, running, running, running. I love that shit. Uh, it kind of drives a little faster. I love the way it's put together. I like the keyboards and the drums and bass and like the way Mike, Mike Patton sings this shit, man. I, I, I really like this song, too. It's a winner. Ray? Uh, this is where the four Benadryl finally kick in, but uh, that said... Uh, <laughs> four? You should take ten. I know. <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I do love this song. The uh, The intro drums always kind of reminded me of the intro to Angry Chair by Alice in Chains, but like... I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like the echoey effect on the drums, but I like it. The verse section is... Patton just belting it out and then it's kind of weird like it's a little bit of the reverse of the uh, old quiet loud cl- quiet rule of the 90s where it's like the verse section is loud but the chorus he goes back to COPD Elvis and uh, loving your eyes again you know <laughs> or blood in your eyes not not loving your eyes wow okay that's like just turning into the theme to the love boat this is another oddly eerie it. song um, it's just uh this album starts off with like a lot of energy, then it just goes in weird places on the second half. And uh, but I gotta tell you, I, I really dig it. It's uh, it's perfect. Mike, so I heard this song was originally called "Holes of Glory." So that kind of goes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I, the song it's a good song, but I don't know why I always found it a little underwhelming. It's got it's got a lot of cool stuff. It's got the atmospheric keys and that big drum sound. And you got the, the guitar is just kind of there to establish mood with that repetitive sustained bends. And you've got Patton's big vocals. And uh, 
it's not bad by any means, but it's not going to make me grow any hair anytime soon. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I like it. It's just kind of, it just fits right there for me. I, I, I'm kind of like a, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm as neutral as Switzerland on this track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a slow lumbering rocker that drags the mood right down into the muck as the guitar and bass lines descend and the synths ascend providing a sonic contrast. At first Patton sounds like he doesn't want to be here. His vocals are fairly lifeless until he gets to what I guess is the chorus. I'm not afraid. He's using these long drawn out vocals a lot on this album and it's becoming a bit of a trope. Oh, he's doing it again. Actually, John's guitar has a few moments to shine as he produces some squeals and squalls that at least try to do something to keep this song from grinding to a halt. I read the lyrics are based off the Stanley Kubrick movie Paths of Glory, which was based on the Humphrey Cobb novel of the same title. I don't know, never read the book or saw the movie, but I guess one of the characters is a soldier who deserts in combat only to find himself in charge of a firing squad executing four French soldiers for mutiny during World War One. I. I don't know. Great movie. This song is just blah for me. It's uninteresting. It's Aaron's a stinky stinker. Wait, this one. This one's stinky. Okay. <laughs> Damn. The penultimate track is Homesick Home, written by Mike Patton. It's been so long. Sam, what do you say? Uh, how in the hell was the last song of the Stinky Stinker? This song is obviously the worst song in the album. <laughs> right? Wait a minute. Am I in fucking Twilight Zone? Hello? <laughs> hey, guys. Mike. Hey, what? Oh. Mike. I can hear you. Okay. I'm here. You're good, man. Oh, shit. <clears throat> uh, I, I disagree with you, uh, Mr. S- uh, Martell. This is my What the Fuck Were You Thinking track. And uh, I don't think it belongs on here at all. And uh, I'm kind of angry that they put it on here. Um, what they got? It's got one good part though. When it goes driving me, driving me, driving. I like that part. So, so it's not all bad. That's all. <laughs> Ray, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm coming back home. <laughs> um, it's an good. odd little swing really piece here. This is another uh, this is another one where Patton gets sole writing credits. Hudson plays kind of an interesting guitar figure, whilst Gould plays a fuzz bass. Um, the keyboards are kind of moody too. I would actually just love to hear a collection of more of these Patton three minute masterpieces or two minute masterpieces. I mean, he could be like take on the Minutemen, just like you know, put out like a, a thirty song album, just like these little snippets of stuff. I think the length of the song is perfect just to keep things interesting. Like, if they had extended any, any more so, then this probably would have been my rump. But uh, as was the case, it's not. It's ashes to ashes. So I like I like it, but it's weird. Even the like the final home that he yells just kind of just sounds like weird, man. But I like weird. I mean, I'm weird. Yeah, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like weird too, though, man. It's cool. All right, Mike. 
I'm completely with Sam on this one. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't even know why this song is on the album. I love the opening riff, though. I think that riff is pretty cool. It's got like a, for lack of a better phrase, like a country punk kind of feel to it. Um, Definitely no punk, yeah. Yeah, it's got that cool, It's which is a cool riff. It's one of the cooler riffs on the album. And um, But to steal a line from Ani DeFranco, this is more of a zygote of a song. So she said uh, they should put leave like a suggestion box up near the front of the of the arena when they play like hey we're going to play this okay and you can suggest things like okay move the bridge here make the verse longer like and just work huh. on it based on suggestions from the crowd because as much as i love the riff i have to make this mike's unimpressed fluffy fuckery <laughs> oh, the fluffy fuckery is the same whammy musically this is pretty cool the bass and a twangy guitar are playing this up-and-down circular riff that comes back around to itself, and Roddy since even add a few weird, wavy squiggles and noises here and there in addition to the long background lines he plays. Borden lets rip with some drum rolls that raise attention as Patton screams, Drive me home! But what the fuck is with these lyrics, Mike Patton? Holy fuck, Nugget, does he mail it in on this one? It's been so long, he's coming <laughs> back home. He's on his way, he's on his way, homesick home. <laughs> fuck me, the guy's not even trying. There's a serious downgrade in the quality of the songwriting as the album progresses. At least it's the shortest track at a minute 59. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> I got you back, Sam. <laughs> and that brings us to the final track, Pristina, written by Billy Gould and Mike Patton. Sam, hit us. I'm watching you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that to you. I just did. Oh, man, I love the song. Uh, it's ominous and eerie. Uh, I just like the way they uh, go through the verses with like these crashing single notes uh, with everyone just uh, Mike Borden and everybody just hitting the note. And then uh, Mike Patton uh, singing a melody over. It's really pretty to me. Uh, I think it's... Uh, clever and then 220 in when he goes uh i'll be with you and all everything kicks in is a really nice moment in the album man i really love it and shit man it's, it's worth saying uh that uh, uh i love that shit <laughs> and uh the descending notes from uh, the hudson playing the guitar uh behind Patton makes this part of the song that part of the song seem like really it's beautiful man you know what I'm talking about? Okay, that one's I'm, I'll be with you. And then he goes, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Tell no, I, what, yeah I know exactly. I, I made a note about that too, Sam. I couldn't agree. Yeah, that's like, that's it's really subtle. pretty, man. It, it's counterpoint. It's nice, man. Yeah, it's pretty. And I think it's a great way to end the album, man. I really do. Ray. The song's almost kind of like cinematic. It's, you know, it's kind of vast and it's open. And it's You get these long, drawn-out chords with distortion and feedback and guitar, occasionally punctuated by explosions of drums from Mike Borden. 
you have Patton delivers a vocal melody and kind of a breathy falsetto, um, but he does it for like longer on this. It's not just like a hook. Uh, let's see how else I have in here. Ooh. 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 <laughs> always cracks me the fuck up every time i hear <laughs> you know i don't know it's it's like it's a serious song it's kind of i'll be honest with you it's kind of a beautifully depressing song but when he throws the who in there it's it's it's, it's kind of goofy it's like you know you're having a moment a plaintive moment by yourself in your high school and you're in front of your lock and all of a sudden the fucking goofy ass janitor pops up going who <laughs> hey do you want a lucky strike you know or something <laughs> you know? Hey, or maybe that was just my trouble? high school i don't know <laughs> but sam man i'm i'm with you on this the guitar melody that john hudson plays while uh pan singing i'll be with you it's just awesome it's just icing yeah. on the cake it's like it's like i, I listen to that part and I think where were you on the rest of the album man yeah you know, but you know, he's the new guy in the band. He's not going to sit there out there and just like, "Hey guys, I got an idea." He's probably just going to be like, "I'm getting paid, motherfucker." Yeah, and, he's um, FMG man. He's the FMG. Yeah. Shut up and do what you're told. <laughs> he's like, "Who knows how long this gravy train's going to last?" I'm just going to do whatever <laughs> the fuck you tell me to do. So yeah. that's probably what I would have done. Um, I would have done it too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a weird song that ends like a really important era for this band that started almost a decade prior to this. You know, before the Chuck Mulders. Then this is like a whole period from that. Patton, uh, his first album with this band, from here to there. Uh, yeah, on one end of the spectrum, you have From Out of Nowhere and um, Underwater Love, and then you get to this, and as a, you know, kind of a swan song, as we thought it was going to be a swan song for the band, it's just a really fucking depressing note to go out on, but I'm, I, I don't, ha- I can't hate it. I, I, I really love the shit out of this song. Rockin' Mike. I really like this song a lot too. I think the sequencing is perfect. It's the only it could this song could only end the album. You couldn't have it anywhere else because it would just put this huge fucking like stutter right in the middle of the album that they, I don't think the album would have been able to come back from. It's got a it's very cinematic like you guys are saying. It's got a great bass line, slower track and you get some like echoed punctuations that eclipse the vocals at points. Really freaking moody. When you were talking about the who part, who? I kept thinking Alice in Wonderland. Like the the Disney animated one. Oh, the caterpillar with the hookah. Yeah. Who are you? Who are you? Why? You know, that's, <laughs> um, so. That works, but yeah. my only knock on this entire song is that while I was prepping for it, this song, while it's dark and moody, it relaxes me so much that I I it really starts to put me to sleep every time I listen to it. And it's not a knock on the song. It just you put those headphones on, you start listening to it, and it just kind of takes you to another place. And it would be interesting if this, if they never got back together, if this was going to be the last song that they went out on. That would have been quite the uh, talking point, I think, if here we were 20 years later going, what a way to end an album <laughs> and your career. So I'm, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm, glad they, I'm glad they came back just because they're awesome to begin with. But yeah, the track is very, I like it, but at the same time, it's I, I want some of that upbeat faith no more weirdness that I grew to love so much. So I'm, I'm kind of at war with myself over this song. Blame, blame. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Some sad shit in the middle about a young couple that got separated in war torn Kosovo. Blam.
Blam! I'm watching you. I'm watching you. And thus concludes the album of the year. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this selection from Audible. <laughs> That's great. Now that track by track is completed, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which is on its way home, suck home. <laughs> Super listener Sam, what are your final thoughts on album of the year? Man, I'm really glad you let me uh, come on here and uh, review this album with you guys. I'm going to give it a four. Um, I think uh, some of the songs are, are too far out there for me. I, I, maybe I don't get it enough. I mean, so I'm sure that people love this record. But to me, man, this is not the best uh, Faith No More album by far. But it is my introduction to them. And so that, at least, deserves a four, man. And there's some of my favorite songs by them on this record. So there, it's a four-star, solid four for me. Ray? I'm kind of split on this one, so I'll just go a little bit. I guess I'll go through the first part. As far as Faith No More albums go, as far as rock albums go, I do love this album. It's pretty dark and atmospheric departure from like the real thing, or even like from like the We Care A Lot era. I got to say, I still miss Jim Martin's contributions. Um, maybe this, you know, I think a lot of it, like I just mentioned earlier, it's, uh, you know, John Hudson was a new guy and he's not going to, you know, try to make any ripples. He's probably just going to try to ride the gravy train. Uh, but he is a solid guitarist. And anybody who likes questions that, I think they just need to give Soul Invictus a listen and uh, yeah. check out, you know, some of the stuff that he's playing. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, um, he, good it get, yeah it gets better. Um, so as far as Faith No More albums go and rock albums go, I'm going to give this a four. Um, but I do love it. On a separate note from this, so I would say probably from 1995 to about 2002, it was like a, a pretty dark time in my life. Um, around 1995, I had my first ever instance of dealing with depression. I was taking medications for it. Um, I was misusing those medications. I was going through periods of delusion. From what I've read, I mean, people in like bipolar states, it sounded like, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the high, the high state, you know, where things are good. And like, I was, it was a strange time in my life. It was like, almost like Sid Barrett kind of weird. The scary part was I really didn't realize it until like family members pointed it out to me. So I ended up moving back home for a couple of years and mike can probably attest to this and aaron you might too i lived in worthington for two years in my parents house trying to come back from this it's kind of funny years later just because to show you how small western massachusetts it's i ran some a mutual classmate of uh, mike's and mine and i guess there had been a rumor going around that i had been institutionalized um which i thought you know maybe i should have been at the time i don't know um it's not too bad <laughs> It's not <laughs> okay. All right. You know, I, I've always wanted to wear slippers all day and, and go into a basket weaving class. And maybe I'd run into Danny DeVito. And I could play poker with uh, cigarettes with him. Lots of um, glitter, man. <laughs> <laughs> but this was probably the darkest time of my life. And I spent a year in fucking Iraq. So that says something. Um, so at the time that this album came out, I had gotten it. I was moved back home. I was doing, coming back from all this weird bullshit with my head. And this album got me through it. Like every time I listened to this album, like, I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I, like when I was re-familiarizing myself with it, I just remember sitting in the first bay of the garage at the gas station I worked at and listening to strip search and, and helpless and pristina and 
it just kind of like thinking to myself, dude, my life fucking sucks, but you know what? At least I've got this band and I've got this album and, uh, I can always go back on that. Even if the rest of my life just kind of sucks right now, I got this. So, um, for that, I'm going to give this album a five because it got me through a really shitty time in my life. And, uh, if I hadn't had had it, I don't know what happened. Like probably that. nothing. I probably just would have ended up, you know, working at a toll booth on the Pike and, you know, <laughs> dying of ball cancer at age 37. But um, I didn't. So for that, yeah, it's a five. It's a Desert Island disc, man. All right. Rock and Mike. So um, I said at the beginning of this episode that – I never, this is the one of the Mike Patton era that I don't own. Um, I'm definitely going to go out and definitely going to pick it up. I was familiar with probably about half of the album um, because I, I've, I've always loved Faith No More. And I like dip my toe in, go on YouTube, look up stuff as I always do. So I've heard, I've heard the majority of this album. Some of it really hits it out of the park for me. Unfortunately, I don't really have uh, a connection to it. Uh, so I'm going to go with a 3.75, but I can picture it changing for me if I with more listens. Faith No More as a band was in real trouble by 1996. The band members' interests were flagging due to other projects they were focused on, and the band had to hire a new guitarist, John Hudson, after they found they had difficulty writing songs with prior guitarist Dean Menta. Faith No More began recording the new album, but progress was slow as the band members' commitments kept them separated and they could barely get together for any stretch of time to flesh out the new songs. New producer Roly Mossiman also encouraged the band to go digital and experiment with computer recording and editing software Pro Tools, which they did but were unaccustomed to using. It made for an unfocused, disjointed record, and when it was released, the band jokingly titled it Album of the Year so that music critics and album reviewers would have to call it that, and the band could quote them out of context. (laughs) The band went on a massive tour to support the album, lasting from April 22, 1997 to April 7, 1998, performing with supporting acts such as Cole Chamber, Helmet, Machine Head, Sugar Ray, Veruca Salt, and Limp Bizkit. Reviews of Album of the Year were originally lukewarm to negative, and sales were sluggish, especially in the United States. And even Mike Patton criticized the record at the time, stating that we were starting to make bad music. Over the years, there's been a slight revisionist history of the album, and it has garnered more praise. And what do I think of it? Well, it ain't the Album of the Year that year or any year. This is my least favorite Faith No More record, and Sam, why'd you pick this one? But I still like it. There's not one record in the catalog I don't like. It's got some good tunes on it, and Mike Patton will always be one of my favorites, even when he's not into it. And I can't help but feel that a couple of the band members were not into this, especially on the second half of the album, where the music is lacking and Patton's lyrics take a dive off a cliff. And Roddy Bottom seems to be MIA for the entire album. What the fuck happened to him? I give Album of the Year a three, and unfortunately, this is the death knell of Faith No More as the band broke up after the tour in 1998, until they reunited. But that's another story for another episode. Now we'd like to thank super listener Sam George for taking the ride with us again. Doesn't get old, does it? No, never. (laughs) You guys are fucking awesome, man, and I appreciate everything that uh, uh, you guys have. Man, you guys get me through the day sometimes, right? Uh, uh, I'll go back and listen to old episodes. Uh, you, you turn me on to new music. Uh, I, I'd never really listened to Tom Waits 
or fucking Elton John, for, to be frank with you, uh, old Elton John uh, before uh, I listened to your podcast. So, man, you guys are doing the Lord's work. Stay away from those dark arts. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we got an Apple Podcast review. It's a five-star review that comes to us from Narwhal671, and it says... I listen to a lot of music podcasts, but only two consistently, and one of them is Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Aaron and Ray, and occasionally Shannon, pick great records and give awesome insight into them. It doesn't hurt that I am in the same age group as they are, and it's like sitting around with friends listening to albums. The Kiss Destroyer episode where Aaron describes meeting Gene Simmons and telling him what the music meant to him was amazing. Everyone that loves music has had that same experience. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you, Narwhal671. That means a lot to us. And to all the listeners, we'd love to see more Apple Podcast reviews as it helps us out by raising the profile of the show. We can't possibly thank you all enough. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know. We'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host a show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. I'm Ray. And I'm Mike. See ya. Help! No whammy, no whammy, no whammy. <laughs> we never felt better now. Hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is this the first Dirty Dancing reference on the podcast? Oh, it's the last. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in my defense, I still have not watched that movie in its entirety, and I will never watch it. Uh, <laughs> hey, neither have I. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, you're lying. You both are lying. I, I, I will tell you, I do own the soundtrack. <laughs> Nobody puts Mikey in a corner. That's I've right. seen it about 18,000 times, and I despise it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, we referenced, uh, we referenced Dirty Dancing soundtrack on the Too Fast for Love episode. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot. <laughs> All right. We have, like, birds on the podcast. That's kind of cool, man. <laughs> You're listening to Fresh Air. <laughs> I'm very gross. Hey, uh, is it okay though? Because I don't know. It's, it's gonna be a little louder. I, I, I can hear them clearly, but it's funny. My house is a fun, functioning house, and uh, there are people being fed and shit. Yeah, so, yeah. So I understand. Out here's way
you know how tempted I was during your video to go. <laughs> I thought you might actually reach through the, the speaker and strangle me, and, 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 and you're, you're much bigger than I am, so I, I wouldn't last long. I'm afraid it was during yours when you said Star Wars, I wanted just to go, it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing one of those mean Neb laughs. <laughs> we gotta do one of the shows drunk. This would be awesome. Let me show drunk. <laughs> Shut your whole mouth when Mike Cordes is talking.